more than tins, a bunch of badasses, if you know what I mean, they're coming out of the sky, out of the sea, and on land, gonna take it to the enemy. Hey folks, Mark Devine here coming at you with the Unveiled Mind podcast. Welcome back and thank you for listening. Thank you for following. If you like the guests and the content, then please rate the podcast over at iTunes and you can subscribe to it at unvealedmind.com slash podcast. So go ahead and do that, and uh, that way we'll keep you on our email list and keep you informed of all the cool things that are going on here at Unbeatable Mind and at the SealFit headquarters. Today I have a super cool guest who is a really good friend of mine. We've, we've heard from him before. It's Captain Robert Schultz, 30-year, maybe 40-year, 30-year Navy SEAL vet. <laughs> there have been 40, right? Yeah. Some of the bullfrogs were a little bit longer, so Bob is a... 30-year Navy SEAL vet, retired as an 06 or a captain. One of his uh, last tours was to be Commodore or in charge of all the SEALs on the East Coast. Uh, Bob is a, um, a leadership expert who also ran a leadership program at the University of San Diego for several years and does coaching, speaking, consulting. And he's been a frequent guest at the Unveiled Mind retreat every year where we talk about ethos. Yeah. Yeah. So our um, conversation today, I uh, wanted to, Bob, welcome back. Thanks. Thank you, uh, thanks for t- taking the time today. But I wanted to talk about a few things related to NSW, related to the SEAL teams. Folks don't really get much insight on that besides what they hear in the mainstream media. So, you know, I don't want to talk about war stories or tactics, but I really want to talk about the state of leadership, some of the challenges our leaders are facing. You know, there's been a lot of news stories recently about, you know, different things that have happened. Yeah, let's, let's just have a conversation about that. So why don't we start out with the most recent news about the media kind of going after the SEALs pretty heavily with regard to three deaths. And it was interesting to me that they linked these deaths all to the training, but really only one was training related. Yeah. The other, one was training related in the pool comp incident, yeah. so a shell or blackout that went bad. And then one was a suicide and one was an actual accident, right? So it's completely unrelated. And the media lumps them all together and says, you know, makes the big leap that there's something going on, right? What is your perspective on that? And how does that challenge the leadership down at Buds and having to deal with that kind of pressure? Well, I think there's, there's pros and cons. One, uh, the attention is accountability. And right. they, they should not... There could be, the, if there was nobody paying any attention, there might be the temptation to just move on. It right. just stuff happens. But it's forced them to take a good hard look at whether any of these things would have been preventable with a few measures. And so that's what they're looking at. The downside is that there are those that try to make a name for themselves by bringing down. Now the SEALs and special operations in general have kind of got the imprimatur of... American heroes. Well, people, the press like to bring down people who are held up in the public eye to show that that it's not all. So there's a little bit of muckraking going on. Mm -hmm. And so they're having to deal with that and that's, uh, and then extrapolations as to what are the implications on all the rest of the things. uh, Right. 
So, and people who don't, haven't been inside this culture are making analogies to their own lives, which, I mean, where the people don't understand the, 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 the pressure that they, that they are intending to put them under, the danger, the stress, the almost looks like hazing as a preparation for yeah. combat. Have you got any sense of what the big Navy's reaction was to the death, the pool comp death? No, I haven't. I, I know that there, if with any accident there's a safety investigation, right. there's an NJP thing, they're going through all of that to see, uh, to see what, whether they can learn anything that would keep this from happening again. Right, right. Typically you find a knee-jerk reaction to those types of things and an attempt to either remove those evolutions from training or to... You know, to change the, the standards. The and Navy has, has a lot of experience with people dying in training. Right. The challenge is that the Navy sometimes struggles with, struggles with understanding what we do. Right. And, and the whole BUDS context is so much different. But even in aviation, they have accidents with uh, Dilbert Dunker and things of that nature where they're trying to train aviators to right. get out of an airplane that's in the water and that sort of thing. So. Right. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this in a public forum is that I don't see any writers or journalists, you know, coming at this from a different angle. You know, I'm again speaking about these three deaths. So I saw m several reports about these three deaths, right? Well, one, like I said, was a suicide. And when you pick that apart, then you have to look at, you know, the psychological profiling and, you know, the, the, the care and well-being of people who don't make it. You know, at, at whatever stage, right? So what happens when someone quits or when someone rolls? And so that's a, one issue that's completely different than whether it's, you know, the pool comp or drum proofing is a safe evolution. They're, they're about as different as you can imagine. And then the whole issue of, you know, alcohol-related incidences and then, you know, drinking and driving, well, that's a whole other thing. They're completely different. So to have, you know, these, these reckless journalists kind of just throw all those together to try to extrapolate, like you said, that there's something wrong with the, the type of training or the way we run training, just to me seems really reckless and, um, you know, just bad journalism. And so, but I, I was waiting for someone to come out with a counter article or say, hey, wait a minute, you know, these are not related things. I don't know how, where you could draw the link between these personally. Unless I'm missing something, right? Is there any link between someone dying in pool training, someone having an alcohol-related accident, and someone committing suicide, besides that the three people passed away? Well, obviously, anytime anybody, you've got three incidents that happened in one command, and... So people are thinking maybe it's a command well, culture? Well, and, and the, the Navy, by nature, will go and look at what's going on there whether there is anything there. Mm -hmm. uh, because if there's a fourth and a fifth, yeah, then and you, don't, then, you, and you didn't do it after the second or third, then could you have present, prevented the fourth or the fifth? It is good, it is just good process and good leadership for them to look at. And the, and the leader of that organization is also looking at what, could we have done anything differently? Right. And so, uh, yes, they're looking at, now this is the first suicide that I am aware of, of somebody who quit Hell Week and, com and committed suicide. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Uh, and in both the other two cases, alcohol was involved. Mm -hmm. the, as far as I understand, I think that the fellow who had the car accident had also had alcohol in mm -hmm. his blood. 
And so there so, was alcohol involved in the pool issue? No, in the incident with the suicide. Oh, the suicide. Appar- apparently, apparently he he went and drank himself stupid, oh, and, no. then, and then and then jumped off the building. Okay. And apparently he had a record, uh, a sterling record of never having failed at anything before. He had, he had a record of just superb performance at all these things, and he wasn't prepared mentally to deal with the failure. Apparently came from a great family. Interesting. Uh, talking to people who talked to his family, impressed with the father and mother, impressed with the way they're, they're dealing with it. And the father is mostly asking for, as I understand it, can we do better to take care of a fragile young ego that has all of a sudden, lost his, his whole dreams are shattered. Right. And there may have been other things behind this as well, but that's a good question to ask. Mm. And likewise with a young man who got killed in a car accident, I didn't know either of these guys, but I got a text from a, uh, a friend of mine who knew this fella and his father well. And so they're asking the good questions about helping a young man who has had this as a dream for his whole life and having that dream shattered and thinking that's, that, that's more important than it is. Right. And, and, and so can we help get these people. Now they've up to this point them much better than when you and I were going right. through. They're just kind of, okay, didn't, good luck, pat you on the butt and move Absolutely, on. Yeah. Uh, well, they're actually working with people now, and, but they're probably going to look at it and make it a, a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like people coming out of combat. A lot of people adapt well on their own, and then a few don't, and so they've put place, things in place to help find those people who are not yeah. and possibly prevent them from going off the rails when right. they get back from combat. Right. Yeah, I think that is, when you look at the evolution of naval special warfare, to me that's one of the most promising and interesting things. There's, there's a lot that has changed, you know, since when you and I were in active duty, you know, the, the quality of the training has really improved in terms of the professionalization of the instructor cadre. They're all master instructors now, and they, there's all you know, most people aren't aware of how much training the SEAL instructors go through yeah. to do their job and the, and the strict requirements on them. Um, and then also um, the, the preparation, like the NSW mentor program and the prep work that goes into preparing candidates, you know, and yeah. some people kind of maybe slip through the cracks. They didn't get the free resiliency training. That would be something to look at mm-hmm. still. Uh, but also, like you said, the transition. You know, I'm really impressed with the work of the Honor Foundation in helping NSW uh, folks who are transitioning out back in the civilian world figure out how to yeah. go get a real job, you know, not a real job, but yeah, a yeah. job in the civilian world. Yeah. So it, a lot has changed, and this, I think the leadership, my perspective is that the leadership is doing, you know, really an exceptional job at all levels. You know, you have issues here and there, but it's a lot more sophisticated and more complex of a system, you know, than when we were uh, leading. Well, small situa- units and small Well, the, the world is much more... I mean, one, most of the people, when I was at that point, didn't have a clue what SEALs were or what right. we were doing. And I frequently tell the story when I was going through training, I was trying to chat up some girl to bar. I said I was going to go work with the SEALs, and she thought I was going to work at SeaWorld. <laughs> and, uh, and, that, and she was pretty impressed with that, so, right. I, so I let her think that. <laughs> but, uh, but now... We've got a lot of these young men, and now we have women coming, yeah, we'll aspiring to that. Uh, who, but the young men in particular have wanted to do this since they were nine, ten years old. Right. And there is all the press attention. 
that we never had. And it is, there are costs to being an American hero. Absolutely. There are costs to being held up in the limelight. There are advantages as well. We don't have the same recruiting challenges as we had before. But anybody who's been in the limelight as a, as a star gets the caca beat out of them. And you have to, I mean, look at what our political candidates go through. Look yeah. at what our celebrities deal with. Yeah. And it puts a lot of pressure. And, that's, and now that, some of that is on the SEAL community as a whole, uh, not so much on the individuals, but we have to, if we're going to be in the limelight, we've got to be ready to take the good with the bad. Right. A couple of things you said really uh, sparked some thoughts. One is, and, and you basically pointed it out, but I want to make it clear the, different, the difference between, you know, 1985 or, you know, 76, being in the Navy or at a recruiter and saying, what is that, right? What do those guys do? Because yeah. nobody, nobody knew what the SEALs were. I mean, I, yeah. well, I had to really fight to find information even in 1989, you know. But like you said today, there's been so much media, so many books written that now you have kids in, in here at Silva, we have kids who, who literally come here and they say, you know, by the time they're 16, when we let them in the door, they've been training since they were 12 years old, aspiring to be SEALs, you know, and, and the ones who train properly usually make it because they're, they're doing the work properly. But to have a, this fantasy and to uphold that heroic warrior in your mind and then to to have that stripped away, like you said, is not something that we've dealt with in the past, right? That's, that's a new evolution. You know, to have, like you said, to, to have it be such an aspiration to where you literally are going to be suicidal if you don't make it, that's going to require some, you know, some innovative and creative thinking on how to deal with that. And, and then it speaks to also the other side of the coin is the challenges that NSW is having with the excessive publicity with guys writing books and they're trying to you know trying to rein that back in and really tamp that down and and turning down you know PR and media requests and um, because the, the genie is kind of out of the bottle and it's created some interesting challenges yeah. well at the same time I, I, I take a view which is somewhat different from a lot of the people inside of uh, inside the wires that are still in the community I think the books uh, the books also serve a good purpose yeah. And I mean, we do work for the American public. We're not we're not a secret society. Right. Uh, we're not. We don't want to be seen as this uh, behind the closed door. We've got this SS like organization where nobody knows what we do and who we are, and we're just a, that, that we're a tool that the authorities can can use however they want, and we don't tell anybody what we're doing. This is America. This is right. democracy. So we really don't have many secrets. There are some secrets that are legitimate because of our enemies, mm-hmm. and, but the, our culture and who we are, what we do, uh, needs to be public. Mm-hmm. I think. I agree with that. And uh, and and so I, I've written elsewhere about uh, about how to judge our people who go to the media, and I think a, a lot of it is good. A lot of it is self-serving and bad. Right. And I don't think you can you can just turn it all off. Because one, people are free, and secondly, you also lose the good thing. Bill McRaven, our most famous uh, senior officer SEAL, he be, he went in the program because of books he read. Mm-hmm. And when I was growing up, and I augmented my professional development by reading personal co- accounts of combat, mm-hmm. that if these people hadn't written these books, I would not have become the officer that I became. Right. I mean, I would I, I wouldn't have been as as good as I as. I became better because of the reading I did, and and the men who come to your organization have 
largely been, hopefully, enhanced by most of their reading. And there's some books that I would tell them not to read, not to, or not to believe much of. Right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think there, this is a, an interesting challenge, and, I, and I'm, they're still trying to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. Related to both books and media, I don't know if you caught this, but there was a cover story on Newsweek this week. This week. This week, and it was by it was about um, the Afghani who took Marcus Luttrell into his custody, mm. right at Operation Red Wings, and it, his journey, right, his torturous journey <laughs> yeah. to finally get out of Afghanistan and all the threats on his life from the you know the Taliban and his brother was I think his brother or brother-in-law was killed and anyways. He had a falling out with Luttrell, and it happened with, with the movie and you know representations that were made about you know getting him a green card and some money that was supposed to come and you know things can get really complicated when you have uh, Hollywood involved. And then he also um, made some claims that Luttrell's story was exaggerated. And so this is it's really, it was interesting to me, and I was trying to be really objective about it, because, you know, there's always, truth is somewhere in between, mm-hmm. right? And so you've got the Afghani who's saying that there were only six Taliban, and they had been tracking these guys because of the, you know, the boot prints, and it was no mystery that they were there. They heard the helicopter come in. And then you have Luttrell's story that, you know, they, they beat off somewhere between 80 and 100, or 60 and 100 Taliban and their bodies strewn all over the place. And then, of course, he's changed his story over time. Hmm. And so it's just very interesting, right? And so back to, this was one book that may, you can almost point to the, in the recent kind of explosion of books that might have tipped the balance. And it was in a, a leadership stage where, you know, active valor was being created and this book was officially blessed by Naval Special Warfare Command. Uh, I, Luttrell's book was not. Luttrell's, well... That's not the story I heard. I heard I, that it was actually. Given I don't. I don't. Light. I don't. I don't think it was, because I remember dealing with friends of mine who were '06s who were having to deal with a fallout of the book when it came. Is out. that right? Okay. Yeah, and uh, and were upset about it. So I, I had not. I. I'm, that's not my understanding. Okay. Latrell's book was blessed. He was given assistance while he was on active duty in working with the media, but this was also before all this explosion of media and mm-hmm. uh, and there was a, a and they and must have thought it'd be good for recruiting or might might have been might have been uh, all of that I, I don't think it was a, I, I don't know I just don't know um, but I do know that when it came out there was an awful lot of backpedaling mm-hmm. I don't think that I don't think the content was read and approved by but I, again I may be wrong it may, it may have been cleared by the security folks but it some of the things he said in there and it said, said since have caused negative fallout. Right. Interesting. Well, I'm sure this uh, this article will continue that that discussion. And and it's interesting that uh, Rashomon, if you remember, said another movie about five people watching the same uh, right. same situation, and and that's why Tim O'Brien in his novels about his experience in Vietnam, he says uh, it all of it could have been true. Right. Some of it. Was and I'm not even sure which parts are true, and and, right. then, and telling and even telling my own stories going back, I'm not even sure how much. Right. 
how much truth there was really in that. So I think recent science, you know, neuroscience is showing that memory, you know, memory is selective, and we know that in a general sense, but like statistically they're looking at accuracy of memory, and they're finding that it's extremely inaccurate. Yeah. Like 80% or something like that yeah. of our recall is inaccurate because it changes over time, and it changes by the, in the context that we try to remember it, and the emotion that we, you know, stored it with, a lot of, a lot of factors there. And then, like you said, every, every single perspective, you know, the, every individual who undergoes an event is going to be different yeah. because of thoughts and, the, you know, the mental context that they process through. And, of course, time changes things. And then you, when you add to this that, you know, in the case of Marcus, he's relaying the story to a third party. Uh, Robinson was his name, who was his co-writer or his ghostwriter, and so he's really having a discussion, and I don't know about you, but the way I write is when I, when I talk, you know, I, I'm not fact-checking, I'm just drawing from memory, and you know, it's very spontaneous, and so then you're having a, a, a co-author record, and you know, the, then he's taking it back and writing the story. And the, and the co-authors you from a very different culture as from well. From a different culture, different language, and even some of that language showed up in the book. Yep. Which is interesting, but when I write versus communicate, I take my time. I'm much slower, methodical. You know, I might write a first draft, and then 80% of that is gone for the second draft. I'll research things that I'm not 100% sure of, and even then, I don't get it right. Yeah. And so it's no wonder, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be it'll be interesting, but I think it's also to be expected uh, when you are in the limelight. You are going to be. There are people going to try to. You're, take you down, you're right? going to take you down, yeah. and uh, that's just part of the deal. And if you can't handle that heat, then you don't go into the limelight. And if you right. can't handle the heat, and you go into the limelight, and you get put in the limelight. It's going to be a, not a pleasant experience for you. For, for sure. And I think that to me, the whole lesson here, and it's something that I'm really cognizant about in my career, is in a, if you were to, like if we were to sit down and talk to Marcus, like I really like Marcus. I totally respect him. I mean, he's a warrior. I bet you he wish he never wrote the book. You know what I mean? It's brought upon you know such a such a change in his life that you know, like you well, said. Well, at the same so time, at the same time, it's all given him the opportunity to do a lot of good. Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, his foundation is doing great work. So, so I mean, how much is how much of life is is all good? I mean, so I mean, there. Uh, it depends on the day. If he's at one of his uh, one of his ranches where he's seeing people be transformed by the experience that he's offered them, he's probably tickled that he wrote the book. Right. And then when he's getting beat up in the press and having people tear him down, he's not. And so, yeah. yeah. So the whole point is just you know be thoughtful about your actions because they all have consequences. Sometimes the consequences have a long tail. Well, and and we can't control a lot of it. And, and basically having the, just the kind of internal resilience to be who we are and be solid with that and not take too seriously what those people who want to bring us down right. say. I mean, I haven't had a lot of experience with that, but I've had some. And it was shocking to me when I was writing essays for the Washington Post on, on that, a leadership section, how the animus of people who never met me right. towards me merely because I was a retired Navy SEAL. Right. And I mean, the things they said, I wouldn't say to anybody. Yeah. And, I, and I was writing, I thought what made sense to me is very moderate, reasonable essays. And right. you, you make me ill. No kidding. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And it's easy to do that behind a keyboard, yeah. you know. Hey, if you really want to immerse yourself in the SealFit lifestyle, instead of just attending an event, then the SealFit online program is the great thing to check out. The Elite Plus training will give you the tools you need to keep your performance honed and to amp it up in all of the five mounts, physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and your Kokoro spirit. The program is where you find the daily op-wad, on-ramp wad, master's wad, and soft wad. Great tips on nutrition, recovery, durability, stamina, all the training, exercise videos, other tips, and also premium content from myself and the entire SealFit coaching staff. It really is an amazing program. So supercharge your training by making an annual commitment to the SealFit online program, and specifically the Elite Plus. If you do so, we're going to send you a discount code for $200 off any SealFit event. This offer may end at any time. So go to sealfit.com slash commit. That's sealfit.com slash commit. And discover your peak performance through the SealFit online training community. Hoo-yah. The, the ethos of the SEALs, you know, which... Neither of us grew up with the, the, in the teams with a written down ethos. It was developed mm-hmm. after we got off active duty in around 2007 or so. And um, a lot's changed even since then. And that ethos was written you know, for the mindset of the SEALs, again, in, in the past. They weren't really looking into the future. They were trying to protect the future, but they couldn't see what has happened now with the complexity and the speed of information and the publicity that the SEALs have. How do you think the ethos is holding up today? And what would you do to, what would you recommend the leaders to do to kind of evolve it? Well, I, uh, as you're aware, I've, I've written on that and, and some people really agreed with me, some people didn't. And I think the ethos as it's written is a, it's a very aspirational ethos. Right. It's, it's an ideal, kind of paints a picture of this, this sort of ideal Utopian, seal, seal, warrior. seal warrior who is selfless, is a great citizen, quiet professional, totally dedicated to his work. All of these things that we want to create. And, and that intent was to, to create something to which all of us would aspire, but probably never, and may reach it for moments, but difficult to hold it. But isn't the point just to reflect upon those and to, and to practice them or keep them in your awareness daily so that you can hold yourself to a higher standard? And, and in that regard, I think they have uh, I, I don't. Uh, I talked to Bill Wilson, who was part of the team, and he said that was not the intent. Hmm. It, otherwise, it wouldn't be as long and complicated. It does tries to do so much. Yeah. And uh, it was meant to be sort of a, a, a guiding, more like the New Testament than the Beatitudes. Yeah. So, Interesting enough on that point, like when we teach, we never use the long form. Yeah. We literally teach the bullet point form. Yeah. Ready to lead, ready to follow, never quit. Yep. Serve with honor, integrity, on and off the battlefield. Because they're like, I can pick those key themes and, and in, a, in an hour talk about contextually why they're important to the leader yep. in the field. And they get it. Yep. Right? And then we have them memorize it. And then we put them under pressure so they start to understand, hey, why is it important to be ready to lead, ready to follow, and never quit? Maybe that's a missing link, is how do you practice the values so you, you Well, know, and, and I, they, apparently there is a SEAL Creed, which is six points. That's the one I'm talking and, about. And that one, and six is, is already too many. I think five is the outer limit of what most people can right. remember, you know, when they're... Well, either, the last one's kind of a throwaway. They should have right? thrown it away. Defeat our nation's enemy, right. Yeah, they should have thrown it away. Right. 
and and I and I when I came came up with a some four guiding principles when I was in command. I, I wanted only three, but I came up with four, and four I could four I could usually remember after a couple of beers, mm-hmm. uh, or or somebody's asking, what are they? You know, but uh, it, it hasn't been. Um, as it is now, it has got so much content that it's difficult for people right. to, to get their arms around uh, and to, to go right to it when they're faced with a challenge. Apart from the, the one line about I not, uh, did not advertise the nature of my work nor uh, seek recognition for my actions, that's been beat into them yeah. lately with right. all the, the people going off the, you know, off the trail and talking to the press. The others, the other aspects of it have not been as effective, and I think it's because there, there's so much content in there. So and what I recommended uh, is that, one, I think it needs to be constantly reviewed. Right. And because right now, it, to the young guys, it's something that kind of came down on high. And these young men are, these, the people coming to the SEALs are naturally rebellious mm-hmm. against the, the on high the system. system. So... It's appealing to the guys who've turned the corner and decide this is when my life is at 35 years old. They understand it. The 22, 23-year-olds, it's, it's just more noise. So how do you grab this thing in such a way which it appeals to a 24-year-old and still connects to the values of the 35 and 40-year-old? I think that's what's missing. Yeah. And secondly, the other, thing that's, the other thing that's missing is that whatever uh, that would be needs to be constantly... A drumbeat. Well, that, that's to me. That's what's missing. First, is if you, you know, again forget about the long form ethos and just talk about the creed. To me, they're both an ethos. One is just a digestible, memorizable form, yeah. and the instructor cadre needs to understand how to teach those through the physical training evolutions. And so the, the words of those, those ethos statements or the creed statements should be showing up 30 or 40 times a day. Yep. And that's the way we kind of try to do it at SealFit, yep. both with the big four skills and the creed, so that they understand what it means to not quit. When they understand, like they, they understand it at an embodied level. Yep. You know, and they got the language, but they experience it in action. And so by the time they're done with six months of that, they're able to live the creed. Yeah. Because it's not enough, to, you know, like we've talked about this before in the context of value, corporate values, you know. There's been a lot written on that. It's useless to, to sit in a room and come up with the six values and then put them on the wall and yeah. then have no systems in place to reward or penalize the behavior and to inculcate those values into daily activities and languaging. It's not too late, in my opinion, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, it seems to me critical. And what and what I think what I have not heard is uh, I have not heard the when I and I don't spend a lot of time with the with the community now I don't go to all the changes of command I go to the ones I'm invited to which is not all of them and some of them and some of them I can't because I'm not not here but I don't hear them talking uh, uh, I hear the word the seal ethos t- is wonderful the seal ethos is who we are it's in the program mm-hmm. but. Mm, the drumbeat, yeah, and, uh, and and the drumbeat needs to be real simple, and the Marine Corps does that really well, mm-hmm. semper fidelis, mm-hmm. and they've got a couple of their other uh, lines mm-hmm. that they use over and over again, right. and it's who they are. Now, again, the Marine Corps has got a different culture. The, the seals are gonna, the, the seals are naturally are gonna be suspicious of anything that's told that they're told to do. Right. 
Right. Uh, and so how do, how do you create this thing so that the, the, the men uh, at the bottom own and it doesn't look like the leadership is telling them how they're supposed to think? Mm-hmm. And one leader, uh, one leader of, a, of a team took his whole team out on an offsite for two days and they came up with their own ethos. No kidding. And, uh, and it had to be within the left and right boundaries. It could not be inconsistent with the SEAL ethos, but it needed to be something that they, they that, that was their words. Right. And not the words of a, of a group of senior guys who got together at San Clemente 15 years ago, but their words. And Do you have a copy of that? Yeah, yeah, I I'd do. love to see uh, that. Uh, and, and I... I have some problems with the yeah. wording in it. I mean, some of what I, I, but he, as as a CEO, he told me that the discussion was a knockdown dragout. I bet. Be on what are the things that are most important to us, fundamental, not peripheral, but fundamental. And these are, and then once they, he says, you guys are going to stay here until you get this to where you kind of come to some kind of. When, once they did, it was theirs, and he says now. As a, as a CEO, I'm going to help you hold yourselves accountable to what you came up with. Mm-hmm. And he was careful to not inject too much into the conversation so that it was theirs and not his. Mm-hmm. And my son was in that team, and he said it was every, every decision they made, he drew it, or he, the CEO made, he drew it off of their ethos. Every decision they had to make as a group, he says, what does the ethos tell you to do? Terrific. It was their ethos. And I think... The conversation. Yeah, who, that was the important. Part. He says that was probably as important as what they came up with is the is them talking about who we are and what are, and how are we going to how are we going to treat each other? What are our values and what is important to us? Not what do they tell us should be important to us? Right, exactly. Because it may be the same, but it's a whole different deal when we have a, when we agree rather than when we're told. It's it's more commitment than compliance. Right. You see that you know right. that difference. Yeah. So. So that process, what, what would I do if I was the admiral? I would go ahead and, and, and have, convene a group of people together to relook at it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't think it would be dramatically different. The content would be the same. The words might be different. But the How it's implemented, the, the ideal is wonderful. You can't argue with the ideal. It's how, it's how does it get from here to here. Yeah, that, in fact, that should be a periodic systemic process every five years or every x number of years the more the more you talk about it just getting everybody together and to have off sites like that where you talk about what does this mean for our command or then you know even at the unit level and then the fundamental fundamental question is what are we committed to right and what are we committed to hold each other accountable for and then the leader's job is to help them hold each other accountable not to hold them accountable correct both that's Obviously, street, yeah. but the, the ideal, the great organization, and the members of the tribe hold each other accountable, right. and the leader helps with that because yeah. the leader just passes through. Right. Uh, I'd love to link this concept of commitment to a um, an ethos and commitment to your team and holding each other accountable to the notion of heroism because there's a lot of you know, that, that's that word is like leadership. There's a that's lot the notion of notion of what heroism. Oh, okay. There's a lot of different perspectives on what a hero is, especially in the modern context. Uh, I have my own perspectives. I know you have yours. To me, you know, the hero is someone who's deeply committed to a cause so that they're going to make the right decision for that cause at the right time and they're not going to back down. And what that shows up to with other people from the outside who aren't as committed or maybe aren't passionate about the cause is, you know, uncommon behavior. And we say that's heroic. Mm -hmm. 
what do you think about uh, heroism in the SEAL teams or in the warrior culture? What does that evoke for you? Well, uh, the word the word heroism is is interesting. It's one of, of some contention in uh, in a, my small circle, like like with my wife. <laughs> uh, uh, you're my hero, Bob. Even if you're not a hero, you're yeah. Well. I, I, and uh, and so there is the, the concept of heroism that that is a consensual discussion where we all agree on this person is is heroic, right. and that's interesting. Like um, buyers, you know, from getting the Medal of Honor. Yeah, and there's a difference. probably hundreds of those happening. Well, well and there's a, a specific, and you talk to Medal of Honor recipients, and I I know have known and worked with several. Most of them will say, yeah, I'm pretty amazed that I did that at that point. Right. It's, there's a heroic action, right. and then there's a life of heroism. Right. And the two are different. They are different. Most of us have, at one point or another, done something that which we even, even ourselves would say, wow, I did that right. heroically. It's different from having a heroic life. Uh, and so, so a good example of that is like Mother Teresa. Like, there's no you know single event that you would call out and say, "Wow, that was heroic." Probably, it's very mundane, just showing up every day. Yeah. And, and but a lifetime of that is just unreal. Heroism. Well, and and the and what does it mean to live heroically? And and what I actually focus on is what it is for me, rather than what it whether my version of living heroically how that fits with a consensual agreement on the definition of heroism. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there are some that say, the call, it's heroic to get up every day and go to work and provide for your family. There's no doubt that that's a good thing. Right. Now, some will people say that that's heroic. Mm-hmm. Uh, others will say it's heroic to finally say, F you, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go find my muse. I'm, gonna go, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to just grind my life away bringing home a paycheck every weekend. I'm going to, you know, what is it? So mm-hmm. in, my, in my own mind, the most interesting question is what is it to each of us? Right. And how do we feel, fulfill heroism for ourselves in our lives? And frequently it means rebelling against the, va- the, her- the values that society tells us are, right. are heroic. Right. And I remember Bob Carey wrote, his book on his autobiography, he talked about how he got through Bud's training. And at the end of, at, right after they graduated, they were all getting assigned to their SEAL teams. And one of the guys in his graduating class says, I quit. No kidding. And he said it was one of the most heroic acts he's ever seen. We get through all the way through training. And then said, and then I, real, I, I wonder, his explanation was, I did not want anybody to think that I, I decided I did not want to be part of this organization. But I didn't want anybody to think it was because I couldn't hack it. Awesome. And I know another guy that uh, that worked for me had worked for me went all the way through Green Team, mm-hmm. and when he got ready to be assigned, he also said, "I don't want to be part of the organization." But I did not, and they were angry because they'd put all this energy in there. Sure. They were counting. He's a really good operator, but said, "I don't want to be a part of this organization." But I did not want to decide. I decided that halfway through. But if I had sold you then, everybody would have called me a quitter. Interesting. So was that heroic? Hmm. Depends on who you talk to. Depends. Yeah. I mean, did he deceive these guys? Did that? I mean, was there a deception there? Was that not willingness to handle the accusations of being a quitter mm-hmm. in order to do what was right? I, I, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. interesting question. Those are interesting questions. 
Where do you find inspiration and um, I would say like what sources of literature and how do you find inspiration in your current professional development about things like heroism and what it means to be a warrior? Are, are there any books you can recommend to the listeners? I'm in the middle of a podcast I was just telling you about where in which Sebastian Junger talks about a book called Tribe. Uh, which I'm, I'm going to run right out and get. And, okay. Because he talks about heroism and, and war and society and how particularly young men in looks at Native American cultures and how a lot of the dysfunctions in society are because we've made ourselves so comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so that's one. I, I've just finished, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, uh, doing, going through a thing on Hemingway. His whole life was about living heroically in his own, mm-hmm. in his vision, which is different from my vision, but, and he had a lot of failings and whatnot, but it was it's very interesting there. I, I, I go to literature. literature. I go to literature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I find that, that literature inspires me, makes me think about about how I, I still got some mileage, of and I'm, I'm in the process of reinventing myself right now, and where, in what direction. And, and, and as, as long as I'm thinking that way, I think I'm still alive. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, if folks wanted to find your blog or um, contact you for a speaking engagement or something, where, where would they look? Uh, uh, fifthfactorleadership.com is where is my professional site, and on there are links to my links to my blog, which is Bob's Corner, uh, and I also review all the books that I read. So there's also Bob's books is on there as well. And and I write. One of the things that helps me is when I read a book, rather than just kind of set it aside and go to the next book, which we've all done, yeah. and then two weeks later you can't remember what that was and right. what did I get out of that. I force myself to sit down and write down what did I get out of that. What what, what great and uh, and I won't go on to the next book until I have. And so that exercise, I started it a, couple, a few years ago, and all those reviews, I, and it helps me because I want to go back. Gosh, I read Tribes by, or I read Tribal Leadership, or what was it? Tri- Team of Teams I read Team by, by uh, McChrystal. Great book with so much content. I can go back and reread my review and go, ah, that's what I got out of it. Oh, those were some of the nuggets that I carried with it because they kind of fade. I think I'm going to go read your book reports because I've, well, well, it's, I've probably every book that you've read, I've either been wanting to or it's on my bookshelf. Yeah, so, I've got uh, stacks of them. And I'm like, okay. So Bob's Corner is, is kind of what, I've been th- what I think about. And my professional site, which is a breadth of things. I'm not a self-promoter. That's part of the reason why sure. I have time to sit down and chat with you. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you taking the time, Bob. Thank you. You're going to be at our retreat this year, on Beetle Mind Retreat. I hope so. Once we get the dates, and yeah. uh, once I get figure out what my, uh, I got a lot out of the last one. I enjoyed preparing for it and and giving my remarks. I, I get more. I think I get more out of it in preparing for it than than the people in the audience. But I also sat in on some of the other ones that just blew my mind. Yeah, this year is going to be. Even, even, better. even better, yeah. Even better. Even better, yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. Um, okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Captain Schultz. I'll see you at the Mail Mind Retreat, December 4th, 5th, 6th, whatever it is. Look for more information on that soon. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Really, really appreciate your support. Once again, if you can, go rate us on iTunes. That's the only way that other people can find us. Uh, I'd love to see my podcast right up there next to Tim Ferriss. You have five stars, 5,000 five-star reviews. Um, And as always, train hard, stay focused, have fun, 
and uh, be your own hero. Hoo ya. Coach Shemaine out. Hey, are you committed to a SealFit event? Are you looking forward to going to Kokoro or SealFit Basic Academy? Or are you just starting out with your training, maybe with Unbeatable Mind? Well, let me recommend the SealFit Online community to guide you and aid you in your training. So this is where you're going to get the daily workout programs to either the on-ramp or the op-wad or the soft-wad and great tips from myself and the SealFit Coaching Scout. And for a short time, if you get one year of the SealFit training, we'll give you $200 off your next SealFit event. So you can save money and get outstanding training, prepare properly with the folks who are bringing you the training itself. hoo Don't miss this one. Coach Devine out.